Welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and I use pronouns are like she and her. And I'm layperson Pace, and my pronouns are none or they, them. (laughs) In this episode, we'll discuss the fourth Sunday of Advent, which this year falls on December 18th. Before we get started, we have some news and check-ins that we just wanted to do. First off, as a reminder for folks that Diaconia.Faith Collective is doing Advent Misphony, which is a calendar that goes from the actual beginning of Advent through Epiphany. And Pace and I came up with that based on what we did last year, but it is a movie calendar or music calendar or whatever you would like. You can find it on the Diaconia.Faith Collective Facebook page, or we'll also link to the post about it, but you watch a movie a day, a TV show a day, a music a day, write, journal, prompt, read, any or all of those, or pick and choose a fun way to move through this season. So check it out if you use the hashtag Advent Misfiny and or tag Horror Nerds at Church, you might get your suggestions or what you're doing for these days read on Horror Nerds at Church episodes. So cool. Very exciting. We have two content notifications for you this episode. During the deep dive, we discuss suicide and death. And during the gospel reading, we discuss assault and incest, specifically sexual assault. Also, Nerds at Church would like to announce that we will be having a special Horror Nerds at Church inspired Christmas Patreon surprise. We would tell you what it is, but then it wouldn't be a surprise. It's true. It's probably not horrific, though. No. No, that's not our style. (laughs) I mean, the Bible is pretty horrific, but... Well, that's true. That's true. That's as far as we go, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes. Speaking of HNAC, though, just wanted to let y'all know that we have our first live show upcoming. It is January 5th at... 11 a.m. Eastern. Yeah, 11 a.m. Eastern. And it is part of the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference, which goes from January 5th to 8th in Washington, D.C. If you go to qcfconf.org, qcfconf.org, you can register for either to attend in person or online. Our podcast recording will be available online, so you don't have to go in person. And we'll probably release it, at very least for our Patreon supporters, the episode we'll be covering in February-ish, maybe. Mm-hmm. We're covering the movie Saved. So I'm very excited for this. Definitely want Wonderful. to check it out. Yes. Yeah. Especially I'm those of us who, you know, have it. that movie half memorized. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Check out the episode description for links to the Bible passages and other references we make in this episode. Today, for our deep dive into dreams and nightmares, we are excited to have back with us Pace Warfield May. What a surprise to see you. Wow. Yay. <laughs> Pace is the most awesome person in the world, obviously, and is the creator and co-host of Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast about horror movies and theology. They are a PhD candidate at the Graduate Theological Union, where they are working on a dissertation on creating a queer theological anthropology from Martin Luther's Genesis Lectures. They live in Minneapolis with their adorable rescue dog, Gandalf, who is not a fan of the snow we are getting. Pace has recently been working on researching the intersection of body horror and trans experience and folk apocalyptic horror. You're pretty busy. I try it. 
It, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Before we fully jump into our deep dive today, we did just want to take a moment. I don't know that these terms will come up as we talk about this, but as we're talking about dreams and nightmares, two things I did want to point out. We might mention night terrors, which are not exactly your normal nightmare. My understanding is that generally those involve a semi-wakeful state, and it's basically you have a an image or a sound or a momentary impression of something in your mind that wakes you up and also so usually you wind up sitting up and screaming, or at least that's how they hit me when I was a child. And so a night terror is a, a very momentary thing, but also freaks out your entire body, basically. And then also some people might experience sleep paralysis, and that is unlike what the name might sound like. As you wake from a dream in which you thought that you couldn't move in the dream, you will also find as you wake up that you can't seem to move your body that can last for for several seconds or a minute even depending and having also done that mm -hmm. once or twice it's a deeply unsettling experience so yeah sometimes that also happens if you're just like really really deep in your REM cycle yes and, and then, then you're like woken deep, deep sleep part or whatever Ona, Ross, and Carrie, one of my favorite podcasts, After Nerds at Church and Horror Nerds at Church, of course. So it's like top five. But they had an episode with Sarah Jickling on it. And I have the link there, so maybe it can be added to the show notes. But mm -hmm. they had a link on night terrors and sleep paralysis, especially doing an episode interview about this. And the person who, Sarah Jickling is a comedian and musician, and she would go around to schools and basically teach kids what these are. Because a lot of people don't know what they are, and a lot of people who don't know what they are tend to assign them to things like demons or possession or something yeah. like that, especially in more conservative Christian communities. So this was kind of like a big push to be more scientific about that, because when you have it as a kid and you don't know what's happening, oftentimes it can be a very frightening experience and yeah. you don't know exactly what to do. So if you can at least teach kids that, yes, this is a real thing, this is what this is how it happens, this is what to kind of expect, then it can help kids talk to their doctors about it, get support they need, and not just feel alone or being haunted by demons or something like that. So, And yeah, as all of us of have experienced, having language for something in order to describe it and find your community of people you share it with is enormously important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So <laughs> this season of Horror Nerds at Church, we, Pace and I, have been focused primarily on Nightmare on Elm Street. And we were doing a, like, one season themed, the next season not, just based on, like, a particular franchise. And then we discovered, as we've been moving through this season, is that the other movies we chose as just, like, one-offs have also frequently been dreamy or nightmarish. So totally accidentally, I think, for Unless most, the Holy if not Spirit. all of them. <laughs> Right? Entirely possible. Uh, so I'm curious what you think about that or how you've been thinking about that. And if you've noticed dreams or nightmares coming up in other places in your life as well. Well, yeah, I think we can credit to it to the Holy Spirit because it was certainly not intentional. But then when we literally, the very first movie we started the season with was Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And there's this whole thing in there about how dreams are supposedly like windows to an alternate reality and alternate universe and stuff mm -hmm. and then I think that's when we both realized like wow this kind of is on brand for Nightmare on Elm Street and then it just kept <laughs> going and going and going yep. so definitely unintentional but I also kind of feel like life in this country has been kind of a nightmare since 2016 and it just <sighs> keeps 
overflowing in various ways. So, That's yeah, real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but nightmares are such like good fodder for horror that it's not mm-hmm. really a surprise to me that it would be something that we could easily pull out in almost any horror movie would have something nightmarish or dreamlike about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I haven't noticed it in other, like I was trying to think of it and, and partly I just haven't been reading as much as I used to before the pandemic, I think, but I haven't noticed it like in daily life as much aside from we live in a nightmarish hellscape, but definitely like it's fascinating to me the way that the movies are like, even the ones that don't explicitly have dreams feel nightmarish or dreamish. And Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So this seems like a good time for each of us to make a brief statement of our own experiences with dreams and nightmares. So for example, I do dream semi-regularly, I would say at least once a week, if not more often. <laughs> and these days, most of my dreams are not especially nightmares, although I do occasionally get something that's like very anxious. But when mm-hmm. I was a child, before I graduated high school, I think getting a a dream that wasn't an active nightmare was actually extremely rare for me. So mm-hmm. as a child, they were almost all nightmares. And my current most common genre of nightmare is the classic, I have to get somewhere, but it's like I'm moving through molasses and I can't move as quickly as I need mm-hmm. to in order to get there. Those have been fairly yeah. constant for a while. Gee, I wonder why. And as I mentioned earlier, I think in passing, yes, I've experienced both sleep paralysis and night terrors, although not on a regular basis and not for a very long time so Mm -hmm. i do know what those are like yeah i make this joke and it's only partially a joke because it's partially real but people often ask me like when do you have time to sleep and i say i don't sleep because i don't (sighs) sleep very much especially before i started my anxiety meds i would typically sleep four hours a night i'm up to like between four and six usually nowadays with my anxiety meds so it's definitely helped and there'll be periods like where i'll go to sleep and sleep like a good eight hours or something so oftentimes i'll like go through cycles where i sleep like eight hours and then other cycles where i just sleep like four to six and and not much can be done about it Mm -hmm. when i sleep more fully i do tend to not dream but when i have my shorter sleeps i tend to dream quite a bit and this is actually like awesome for me that I'm on this Advent 4 episode because I'm preaching (laughs) Advent 4 at the congregation I work Mm -hmm. at. And I had my first stress dream about preaching just the other night. So it's like, it's already (laughs) happening. Where it's like, I show up Sunday morning and it's like, oh crap, (laughs) I don't have my sermon. So I had a few of those dreams, but it's been like, I haven't preached since Transfiguration Sunday that we did Mm. for diaconia so i'm kind of looking forward to this stress dreams aside and growing up i did have like most of my dreams that i have now are kind of surreal weird kind of stuff but as a kid i had a lot of experience with night terrors that for me did kind of feature the devil as a character prominently and Mm. so that was a phase of my life where i would literally like wake up at like 2 a.m and just like in a panic and like be praying for like three hours straight that i didn't want the devil to come inside me because i was worried that was gonna happen because of my night terrors so Oof. wow fun times for baby pace yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
poor baby pace. I used to dream more regularly than I do now. Like, and maybe it's that I just don't remember them, but I don't remember the last time I really dreamed. And I had a combination of dreams and nightmares. Whenever it was nightmares, it was mostly like being chased by people. But there was one recurring one I had as a kid where I was at the like rec center and the pool and they had a a water slide at the pool and then like giant human-sized scorpions were like people Yikes. were turning into scorpions and then coming up like the slide at me and my dad was there was always there like and it was him and me against the scorpions or something I don't know wow. it was weird so yeah so that that's like the most common recurring one but otherwise it's been like being chased by bad guys and then I slowly like wake up and try to change the dream and it does not work nearly as well as it does for the characters in Nightmare on Elm Street but Mm. yeah and then I don't I think I might have had sleep paralysis a little bit more like once or twice when I was woken up in the middle of like deep deep sleep where I just had no idea what was going on where I was any of that but not night terrors I have in the past sleep talked I've talked to people in my sleep. I've laughed in my sleep. Mm -hmm. My sibling and I had a conversation in our sleep. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. I I more frequently now as an adult experience, and this is a common experience, so if this happens to you, don't worry. A lot of people get freaked out by it. But like, it's common to have some sort of hallucinations as you're starting to fall into sleep. Some can be visual. For me, it's mostly auditory. So I mm. often hear like somebody call my name, right? As I'm starting to drift off into sleep and that'll jolt me awake. Sure. And of course, I'm in a room by myself and stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of something that I experience quite frequently that probably is tied in with dreaming in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just realized I do actually have a pop culture reference in reference to mm. one of my recurring things. When I was a kid, I had this recurring nightmare that I didn't realize until I got older was actually based on the Eagles song Hotel California. Mm. Oh, wow. You can check in, but you can never leave basically. And so I would be in this oh, building and going through the series of rooms and there were no windows and there were only doors into other rooms and I couldn't get out of the building. And I don't know that anything like actively happened that was scary, but it was one of those things where I wanted to get out of the building and I couldn't. And so it was deeply anxious. And there were also mm-hmm. a bunch of people in this building with me, a few in each room, and they were people I didn't want to talk to or interact with. And yet they were in these rooms mm. and I couldn't avoid them. So I don't think I ever actually told my parents that their taste in music gave me nightmares. But I suppose that <laughs> might be something they don't need to know. Yeah. Perhaps, perhaps. That seems a little hard to like avoid of like. Yeah. But yeah. Because I'm curious how you think about the interplay between dreams and nightmares. So first to start out by saying like, I'm not a scientist or a therapist or anything like that. So like my understanding of all this stuff is mostly literary and related to works of fiction, horror and stuff like that. Cause dreams have been a constant source of fascination throughout all of human history. Mm-hmm. I'm at my heart, like a theologian and historian kind of, so that's how I'm approaching this. But of course, if you go to like talk to scientists or something, there's like no one source hypothesis for like source of dreams. It's still a pretty mysterious subject. So there's a lot of guessing and guesswork about, what they are and stuff Mm -hmm. but dreams and nightmares i feel like are like many things a false binary yes because something that might just be a pleasant dream to someone might be nightmares to others and frequently dreams might start out scary and then kind of morph into something less scary or start out pretty mundane and then turn into a nightmare but 
a few things I've noticed from this season of horror nerds at church, <laughs> I just want to point out is in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, they talk about the Greek myth that shows up in Homer's works about there being two gates in the dream world. There's a gate of horn made out of horn and a gate made out of ivory. Mm -hmm. There's Greek wordplay going on there for our Greek nerds, but you can look it up <laughs> though. Uh, I don't know Greek well enough to even attempt to try to say it, but like basically the idea is one of the gates is where dreams that come true come from. And the other gate is where dreams that turn out to be false come from. So there's this like inherent assumption that there can be a prophetic nature to dreams mm -hmm. in this kind of Greco-Roman understanding of how dreams work. And then how that ended up being portrayed in Nightmare on Elm Street was instead of being dream, a gate of fulfillment and a gate of fa falsehood, it was a gate of good dreams and a gate of nightmares. Mm -hmm. And so Freddy, of course, was the keeper of the nightmare gate. And one of the other characters is the keeper of the good dream gate. There's also a lot of reference to Shakespeare <laughs> in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, especially like his Hamlet soliloquy from Hamlet. When Hamlet goes to sleep, perchance to dream, I there's the rub, for in that sleep of death, what dreams may come. And of course, that what dreams may come turned into a Robin Williams movie, so which good. I hate. Oh, really? Oh. I hate that movie. Oh, that was fascinating oh. because I heard both of you at the same time, and so it was Pace. I hate <laughs> that movie, and Kay, such a good movie. It's very it is, pretty. I, I, yeah, it is visually stunning. Yeah, I think yeah, it is sure. gorgeous to watch. It says some it has some really bad theology about suicide and self harm mm, in there, mm -hmm. and it also just has a kind of more fundamentalist bent to its perception of heaven and and hell and all that stuff. So My understanding of the movie was changed a, once I actually read the novel, which actually takes quite a bit of that oh. and gives it a lot more nuance, and also throws mm. in a bunch of Buddhist stuff unexpectedly. So. Right. Yeah, because it's made very yeah. clear in the book that it's not that the character who commits suicide is in hell as punishment. It's that her mind has created a hell for herself because she was in mm. so much pain. She hasn't escaped the pain yet, basically. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I have not read the book, but now I want to. Yeah, which is particularly interesting given Robin Williams' death by suicide as well. Yeah. But that is, I mean, that is that space of what dreams, what our mind does in dreams and that yep. can be a terrifying thing Sometimes. for those of us whose minds are not always well and are not always yeah. properly calibrated or they just work in ways and, that we wish they didn't yeah yeah and i particularly love like the hamlet soliloquy because of how hamlet uses a metaphor of sleep as a metaphor for death as mm -hmm. hamlet himself is contemplating death by suicide and several other things i don't know why as a culture we're like hey let's show this really dark and depressing ghost story to a bunch of high schoolers and have them read it like without any context because it's a really like it's a really dense and interesting play but like mm -hmm. anyway i just love this notion that in that death is like a sleep. And that's also a biblical thing, how we can, how death is a sleep that we wake up from at, at the end of time. Mm -hmm. And of course, Hamlet saying, so in sleep, what dreams happen? Nobody's really woken up from the sleep of death to tell us what kind of dreams we'll see. So yeah, yeah. I like that as well. Yeah. Come to think of it, I think a lot of the stuff I read for class in high school was 
fairly disturbing, but also, I mean, <laughs> they were trying to do an overview of all of literature. And yeah. when you're in high school, you're dealing with puberty hormones. And so everything was escalated to the, the umph percentage. Anyway. Yeah. So getting back to our original topic, <laughs> what about dreams or nightmares as prophecy? And when I say prophecy, I want to specify that I am mostly talking about prophecy as truth telling rather than future telling, although I do have a little experience in the other kind. But do we have thoughts about dreams as prophecy? I feel like there's a whole industry around like interpreting your dreams mm -hmm. as if there is some sort of truth telling that is inherent in dreams as opposed to this like what many if not most scientists tend to think dreams are just like our mind dealing with the clutter of various things and kind of presenting it to us as we are sleeping mm -hmm. but some people have like theories like oh maybe it's actually the subconscious trying to communicate with us and tell us what the subconscious is thinking or feeling and we see that so much like in pop culture this sense that if they're going to take the time out of a movie with a runtime of like 90 minutes, they're going to spend a few minutes mm -hmm. on a dream, then the dream has to have some relevance to the plot. So it's going to tell the truth about something. It's going to be a way for the character to, to show the audience what the character is thinking about or feeling, or it will have some sort of future telling, truth telling, at prophecy aspect to it as well. Mm -hmm. That happens a lot in Hollywood dreams, I think. So, so yeah, I, I personally, I feel like dreams can, personally, like my own kind of interpretation of dreams, I feel like dreams can be very inspirational. A lot of times I've had dreams that I've turned into like a story or a poem or something like that as to like whether or not it's telling me a deeper truth about myself that I need to go out and buy a dream dictionary mm -hmm. to understand. I tend not to go on that. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to go find Joseph and be like, please tell me <laughs> what are my dreams about? Yeah. Wrap me in your colorful robe, your pretty princess dress, and right. <laughs> tell me all the things. Sure. Oh, yeah. Both Josephs have interactions with dreams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I don't know that I buy the usefulness of, say, a dream dictionary, because I think the point of what a dream means is what it means to you. And so what's in the dream is going to mean something different to you than it does others. So when I said earlier that my most current common genre of nightmare is the whole not being able to move fast enough. Well, I live that out every day. I have ADHD. <laughs> My ability to judge how long something is going to take is an absolute mess. And I am constantly finding that I am moving slower or doing something slower than I expected that I would. And so, of course, that overflows mm -hmm. into my subconscious. And, and my dreams and nightmares have been fairly straightforward about that kind of thing generally. I had a very silly dream last night and that was probably just my my brain relaxing a little bit after a fairly boring week and that's fine. But do you want to tell us about your silly dream? <laughs> I was on a plane with my mom and my mom was taking a nap and a flight attendant tried to hand me a cup of tea because this was apparently a British plane. And my mom woke up just as she was doing that and she was sitting between me and the flight attendant and she immediately sat up and started trying to help because this is my mom and of course that's what she would do. And so it turned into this very bizarre farce scene of three of us trying to handle the teacup at one time while, you know, in a very small row on an airplane. And the tea itself did not get spilled. And I am very proud of that. Mm, but impressive. It, it was a very silly scene. And then I woke up in the middle of it. It did not actually have the Benny Hill music going in the background, but it probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's fantastic. The most I have gotten out of like a dream dictionary type of thing is the understanding that if you are dreaming about people close to you, 
it is possible that they are stand-ins for yourself in a dream. Mm. And that has been like something interesting to me. And I think goes along with the like, your brain is just trying to work stuff out. And sometimes it's easier if you're working stuff out about somebody else that's still really important to you, but like, it's not you. So I've noticed that. And for a while, I when I was in a like really anxious spot and dealing with a lot of stuff, I would wake up in the like early hours of the morning with my mind racing. And I was seeing a therapist at the time. And so she talked about like, that actually might be more about like your brain, your subconscious, right? Working stuff out yeah, and then getting somewhere. And so then it's able to like raise up to more of the conscious, but then you're like stuck in the like, now my mind is racing about this thing at three in the morning. Thank you, brain. I've actually written about this reoccurring dream I have in a piece I wrote a few years ago called Querying Grief. Mm. But there's this other sense of dreams that, for me very personally, and of course, like you all are saying, I feel like how we interpret dreams can be a personal thing. I don't know what the science is to back this up, so I'm not making any scientific claims here. But a reoccurring dream I've had, first of all, I've dreamt about the death of my brother before it happened. So there's a kind of like predictive sense there but then also after my brother died I have this reoccurring dream at least once a month even now and my brother's passed away 15 years ago but even now I still have this dream at least once a month of my bio family coming home from some sort of something whether it's a vacation a trip a work thing I don't know we come home and we get in the house and my brother's sitting at the kitchen table waiting for us. And he invariably says, what took you so long? Or we will say, where have you been? And he said, I've been right here this whole time or something like that. Mm. And so for me in my querying grief piece, I, I was talking about how that kind of liminal space of dream versus reality, how in those waking hours, like, is my brother alive or is my brother dead? He was just alive in this dream. I don't know, that space is kind of queered between life and death in those Mm -hmm. moments. So it's been kind of a comforting thing to me. And also the sense, a lot of people, I feel like have this sense of like, if they are visited by a departed loved one in a dream, that it is some way that whether it's a subconscious thing of like that happening or something beyond ourselves of coming in and checking with us and checking on us and Mm -hmm. visiting with us. Yeah, I had a dream after my grandfather died. And it was a bizarre dream and like not what I imagine when I imagine people who dream about loved ones like yours was very like tangible sense. Yeah, coherent. Right. And mine was like I was on a school field trip or something and he showed up on the bus or I don't know. It was when I was in high school. And but there is this like I will always remember that dream. Right. Because it was a time that I got to see my grandfather again and and then there's the flip side of the reality dreaming where my grandmother before when she was in hospice and when she was dying had terrifying dreams of like the way that she put it was I don't want to go to jail which as a catholic who grew up a hundred million percent immersed in catholicism what she really meant was purgatory sure right but that was part of her like as she was dying nightmare And then there was also the like dreaming of my grandfather and of my uncle, her kid, her son, who had died when I was in elementary school, right? Like being present with her. And so there's, there's like all of this space when you get into the more liminal spaces, like we talked about with 
Justin in our All Saints episode. But all of those different liminal spaces like lead to that sort of a like, is it nightmare? Is it dream? But also like, is it real? How do we define real? <laughs> what is, is real? Truth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, private. Oh, crying out loud. I, I was also just thinking, like I had a friend when I was younger who, it didn't happen that often, but she was very convinced that she occasionally had prophetic dreams in the term of actually telling the future. And a couple of times she wound up proven right. And one of those was she dreamed that a, a woman we knew who was a brunette would have a little girl with strawberry blonde ringlets. And this woman's hair was not in ringlets and it it was brown and she didn't have any family members with strawberry blonde hair. And yet five years later, she had a three-year-old in her life who was her biological child who was strawberry blonde with ringlets. That, so that's the the one, you know, proven case that I consistently remember. The other thing that I find kind of interesting in hindsight is that at one point she had dreamed that I would find the love of my life before she found hers. And I've been happily married 10 years and she's still in the dating seat. It, so in retrospect, that's interesting and also surprised both of us at the time <laughs> for various reasons. <laughs> but she had a variety of other things that were possibly, I, I don't know, I don't want to say it was absolutely true, but also like, I believe in God and therefore I have to believe that there's the possibility of supernatural stuff to a certain extent you know mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the bible does have an awful lot of prophetic dreams that that tell the future or tell the truth and so i i have to be willing to allow for a certain amount of that possibility yeah for sure for sure yeah yeah there is a like statistic about like predictions of gender with kids when they're still in utero which is really complicated because sure. like the most accurate determination is apparently the dreams of the person who's pregnant. Yikes, and, I did not know that. Yeah. I mean, like, if you're doing the, like, actually looking and testing, right? But, like, all of those things that are, like, is this a girl or a boy? Because we only believe in gender binaries. All of that. Please don't set anyone on fire if you do a gender reveal, kids. <laughs> like, just, or just in general. <laughs> just don't set people on fire. But, yes. Right. Yeah. Murder bad. Um, <laughs> but based on that my mom like my parents didn't figure out the sex of me or my sibling before we were born but based on that like my mom dreamed and was right except that there was no concept of non-binariness by genderness gender fluidity any of that and so like she just didn't have the options and i wonder if she had known deeply sure. about like more diverse gender what she would have dreamed because like she dreamed about my genitalia but like not about sure. who i actually am and so that's this other weird space that i think about frequently especially when i think about like potentially getting pregnant and that sort of thing yeah my my grandmother claims to have prophetic dreams <laughs> on my dad's side and she when my mom was pregnant with me she had a dream which she said was the voice of god spoke to her in this dream and told her that my mom would have three sons and my grandmother had three sons so she was seen as like a continuation of that legacy that she herself that my mom would also have three sons hmm. well my mom had one son who is now dead a daughter and a non-binary face so clearly my grandmother may want to check in with god about how in tune her <laughs> Yeah. God-given dream talent is. Yeah. And how much it's influenced by patriarchy, misogyny, 
sexism. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Also, don't claim you're a dream seer. Like, really? Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> some some power. So I accidentally came up with a game that we're gonna play <laughs> called Dream versus Nightmare and Why. So we have in the beginning of Matthew, spoilers for folks, the reason why we're talking about dreams is because Matthew has lots of them, especially in these first two chapters with Joseph and the Magi and all of that. Sure. So we're going to, there are five in particular, and I'm going to say them and then everybody gets to say if they think it's a dream or a nightmare and why. And while I know I am creating a false binary, you cannot just say false binary for every answer. <laughs> okay, you making that rule is so rude. I just have to point out. Okay, like, okay you but of all people on. making that rule. Okay, but hang on. And if you do decide to do it anyway, because I know the stubbornness of some of the people on this podcast, <laughs> then you have to like have extra reasons why. So you have to like talk about the nuance. But other ones, like you have to give a reason for why it's a dream or a nightmare, which could be a quick, short one. But like, if you're going to do false binary, then you have to give more intentional thought. It can't just be a, like, get out of answering the question free card. Deal? Okay. Deal. <laughs> okay. Number one is today's gospel reading, Matthew 1, 18 through 25, where God tells Joseph in a dream not to dismiss Mary like he was planning on. Dream or nightmare? Do I go first? Yeah, you're the guest. Yeah, you're the guest. Okay. Nightmare. Having God show up in a dream... It's always going to be a nightmare for me. So, spoilers alert. All these are going to be nightmares. <laughs> but I'll say well, this one in particular is a nightmare. Because what kind of asshole is Joseph that he's just going to dismiss Mary without divine intervention? Jesus Christ. <sighs> Literally, Jesus Christ is about to be born. Do not dismiss Mary. So, anyway. Nightmare. You know, I wasn't actually planning on taking this tack when you first explained the rules of this game, Emily, but honestly, on this one, I'm going to say false binary. All right. Because the thing is, is on the one hand, this message is phrased as it's from an angel of the Lord. And any time that an angel appears in the Bible, everyone's immediate reaction is, ah, absolute terror. Mm -hmm. But two things. One, this angel in a very rare occurrence in the Bible, does not start off the message with don't be afraid, which is what every angel almost always says first, because they have to, because otherwise <laughs> people aren't paying attention because they're just screaming wordlessly. <laughs> and two, Joseph actually seems to like remember the content of this message. And if he was screaming wordlessly, I don't think he'd be paying attention to what the angel was actually saying. So on the one hand, angel, yikes, on the other hand, apparently when this angel appears in a dream, it's like somewhat less terrifying than it would be if the angel was appearing mm -hmm. in like a, a waking state. And so it, I'm sure that Joseph was rather freaked out by this, but also it doesn't seem like a full on nightmare because he does remember the content of the angel's message. So I, I will go with false binary for that if that's enough reasoning for you, Emily. Yes, that is wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I was going to go with like just a regular dream until YouTube. <laughs> and the joy of being the one asking the questions is I get to change my mind and decide at the last minute. So I'm going to go nightmare with pace. The like who dismisses Mary without divine intervention and like what sort of divine intervention has to happen to get a guy 
who is ready to just like dismiss someone to whom he is betrothed. And like, he's a righteous Mm -hmm. man. So he's going to do it like quietly. So he's just going to screw her over quietly, which is not helpful Mm -hmm. or righteous. Yeah. That is not a sign of good, of right relationship. So I am with Pace on that one. I I hate to point Mm -hmm. this out, but the whole, what he was planning to do before the dream thing is not actually a part of the dream. Details, details. (laughs) <laughs> but it impacts it right like because if he's planning on doing something bad it's the reason he had the dream yeah but if he's planning on doing something bad he is in a particular mindset where in order to get him it's like an inside out when they're trying to wake up what's her name the main character and they've got like this dream going on and joy is like oh we just have to be like more loving and more this and and then she'll like feel so good from the dream that she'll wake up and I think sadness is like, no, you only wake up from like fear. We have to scare her. And so then they do. And that's what wakes her up. Like, And now I'm having flashbacks to Inception, which it's amazing <laughs> to me. We haven't gotten to that movie yet. I was but just yes. thinking about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next dream from Matthew chapter two, verse 12. The Magi are warned not to return to Herod to report where baby jesus who and where baby jesus was dream or nightmare pace again it is a nightmare not just because god showing up in a dream is always a nightmare but also the magi are just learning that holy cow your boss or not necessarily boss but like one of the people that you are interacting with is this homicidal person who wants to like kill people and you need to like avoid him because otherwise it could have like major ramifications for your health and well-being. I feel like that's very nightmarish. Yeah. Solid. Solid. Okay. So I'm actually going to go the opposite direction. See, one, we aren't told where this dream comes from. Actually, we're given very little information on it. This is not specifically said to be from God, and God is not specified to have shown up in the dream. And also, we don't know how much information they're given in this dream. They're told not to go back to Herod. But, like, we don't know if they're told why not to. Mm. It's possible that this was basically a set of GPS coordinates. (laughs) Go over here (laughs) instead. Take this path. And so it's also very possible that this was just like a information drop and not actually a nightmare like i i see where you're coming from pace but like this is we're just not given much information the only very minor pushback i have about it being a gps thing is that yes and at this point they're already knowing that herod is not a great person so whatever the dream is it is telling them to avoid going back to this person which would probably be a scary thing considering that this person seems very volatile so mm-hmm. you're going against this your dream is telling your gps coordinates <laughs> are telling you to go against a volatile person's personality i still i still feel a little bit of terror in that yes well me. but also like herod was legendary for being an unpleasant person and i'll i'll yes. certainly agree with you that getting the instruction to not follow this very powerful and very unpleasant person's instructions that part would be unsettling but i don't know that it would be unsettling while you were in the dream it would be afterwards oh, fair, fair. Mm. yeah I think that complicates it more what you just said, Kay, but I think I'm going to stick with Nightmare for mine because of the, like, they might not know how terrible Herod is, right? They're from far away. Herod plays nice with them. And so there's a sense of, like, that point where you realize someone you thought was a really good stand-up character is not. Mm -hmm. And they have been perpetuating harm and 
you didn't know it and are planning more. So I'm going to say nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that space where like when you are told, convinced, convicted to do things differently like that, like it just feels like it has to be like, it's just a scary thing to like be, I assume that they are told at least something of if you go back to Herod, something bad will happen. And so that's, that just feels scary to me. So I mean, also, we don't Um, even know how many of these wise people there are, because when you read the Bible, folks, the Bible does not tell you that there are three of them. It's true. There's just magis and three presents. Yes. And they could have bought the same thing. (laughs) I mean, gold is not useless. Yeah. Per se. Although showing up to a baby shower with myrrh is kind of unsettling because that's what you use to anoint a dead body but still you know more than kind of unsettling i would say i've been attending a lot of baby showers lately i think if i showed up with something (laughs) like that i would be thrown out but (laughs) probably probably okay next question then which is very closely related matthew chapter 2 verses 13 through 15 so right after this when joseph is warned to flee to egypt in a dream pace Obviously a nightmare, but why this time? I was just going to say, this is a good dream. (laughs) This is a great dream. It's very pleasant because they're being told that if they don't leave Egypt, they're going to be murdered, or at least their child will be. Sounds like a very happy, pleasant dream to me. This is definitely a nightmare, like full-on nightmare material. Like like the text specifically says, let me just quick pull it up. The Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. That is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will concur on the fact that it's a nightmare, although I will point out to Pace that it actually says an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Yes. And again... There is an angel, so that was probably scary, but also Joseph did not immediately start screaming and the angel didn't start with be not afraid. But this time the content of the message is genuinely like unpleasant and threatening and scary. So yeah, I'll certainly call that one a nightmare. But I would say that's more because of the content of the message than anything else. Because again, Joseph actually remembers the message. That's a good sign. Also nightmare. So we're all in agreement for the first time. It's almost like being told that your kid is about to be destroyed is not happy yeah that Uh, yeah yeah so similar the content is reason enough to be like okay like Mm -hmm. nightmare herod's out to kill your baby go Mm -hmm. next up matthew chapter 2 verse 19 when joseph is told in a dream to come back from egypt okay so the angel of the lord suddenly appeared in a dream to joseph in egypt so, yeah, angels are terrifying. We, we talked about this. The Lord showing up is terrifying. All of it's terrifying. But also, like, the concept of going on this journey back to a place where your life was just at risk, even if the danger is past, I feel like in and of itself is kind of inherently scary thing to do mm-hmm. to put a lot of trust in the dream this dream is actually going to happen so so the other thing too though is like i have to wonder is like joseph dreaming that he's like falling endlessly like so many of us have he's like that dream is just fake but this dream telling me i need to go to another country <laughs> that one's real and this is how i know like how do you know anyway That's, well i'm going to get more into that in the next dream but yeah yeah Yep. Okay, so this one, okay. Yeah, on the one hand, you're getting the essentially good news of that guy who wanted your child dead is now dead. 
So, you know, ding dong, the king is dead or whatever. <laughs> but so Joseph may have woken up and done a, a cheerful little song about that. But, you know, there's an angel again. And I could certainly see how Israel is a, a complicated place to want to go back to. Not just because Herod wanted his kid dead, but also because, you know, living in Israel, you're a second class citizen in your own homeland because mm -hmm. of the Roman army. And so I think I'm going to have to fall on the not false binary line again for this one, Emily, because like this, this would be emotionally loaded, but I don't know that it full on counts as a nightmare. Gotcha. Gotcha. This is fascinating. This is the first one where we are all three different. I say dream. A, Ooh. I love to travel and I love adventures. So there's a little, like, I know that it's more complicated when you go on them and it's more dangerous and all of those things, but also I love adventures. And so I will always have a like, oh, this is exciting news. But also <laughs> like, it is fundamentally good news that the person who is threatening the life of Jesus is no longer able to threaten the life of Jesus. Yeah. So I think for me, it is a dream because of that. Cool. Yeah, but don't worry, a different Herod's going to come and kill your cousin, Jesus. Oh, wait, different gospel, <laughs> but still close enough. No, same gospel. It's just... But he's not his cousin explicitly. Oh, Matthew. okay, yeah. there we go. I was like, same, John still gets beheaded. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. okay, and our final dream, Matthew 2, 22, where presumably, I'm showing my cards a little bit, presumably Joseph is told not to come all the way back but just to Galilee. Okay, so this is the only dream Joseph has, where it does not explicitly say that God was involved in this dream, just mm -hmm. as he was being warned in a dream. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this one doesn't have the... Automatic nightmare. God's dream is always a nightmare. Maybe this is more of a Doctor Strange dream. Joseph <laughs> is just dreaming of an alternate reality or something, like we learn in Doctor Strange that dreams are. So I don't know. So this one, I'm going to say false binary. The nightmarish <laughs> aspect is... It doesn't say God is giving him a dream, so like, where the f*** is the game? <laughs> where are the people getting this dream from? Because it, it's not God, so is he just like saying this to Mary? Like, hey, I don't want to move this other place. Let's just go settle in Galilee. And it's, yeah, it's a dream. Just like all the other ones. Uh-huh, mm -hmm. uh -huh, let's go. That's the false binary aspect of it that is a little bit nightmarish. But like beyond that, it just seems like a bland dream. Who cares? Yeah, I'm going to say that the, ultimately this sounds like a specifying action on the part of the divine GPS. Joseph is getting <laughs> more specific information on where to go. Although calculating. Yes. I, I do hate to correct you, Emily, but if they're going to Galilee, that's not not going all the way to Israel. That's going further because Galilee is to the north and Egypt is to the south of Israel. Okay. So they do actually have to go further. Okay. This is a lot. But like trip. not all the but way back to Jerusalem. They're not specifically to going to Jerusalem. Like they are avoiding that area. Yes. Going past it. Yeah. But it, it does say that the dream is a warning. And so that might have been mildly unsettling. But it does ultimately tell Joseph something he, I, I think it sounds like he wants to hear because Joseph doesn't want to go back to central Israel because they were threatened there. So... I, I think actually I would land on the side of dream for this one. Hmm, okay. I'm going to pick a fourth option for mine, which is that it didn't exist. I think it's BS. And I think Joseph was like, I don't want to go back there. I don't feel safe. I don't trust God. So I'm just going to say, hey, I was warned in a dream. We got to go to Galilee instead. Let's go to <laughs> Nazareth. That's, that's what I think it was. Love it. Interesting. Okay. 
for the record, Pace thinks all these dream narratives in Matthew are made up because they only appear in Matthew and they make notes of events. So that was a fun game. Was there anything that like, I mean. Was it? No, I'm kidding. It was a fun conversation for me. Sure. It it reminds me of in Horror Nerds at Church Pace when we like rate the movies and I never rate the movies until after we've talked about them because inevitably the talking about them like changes how I think about them. Sure. So the only one that I had going in that like stayed pretty consistent, I didn't know what I was going to answer, but the last one I like have never liked and never felt like it was anything other than Joseph's anxiety and fear dictating his decisions and I have some biases against Joseph. Sure. I think we've noticed. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So as we like explored this dream, nightmare, reality, surreal, what is going on with Joseph mostly? Also, and as I've been thinking about dreams and nightmares for both of the podcasts, I was thinking about surrealism because several of the movies that we've watched for the season of Horror Nerds at Church have been very surreal. So I'm curious, Pace, if there are biblical stories that are surreal for you or that give off like a similar sense of surrealism. Yeah, biblical stories, I definitely feel like a lot of the prophetic books have surrealist elements in it. You can definitely... I mean, everyone always is going on about Revelation on all these scrolls and cups and animals with weird mashups of body parts and stuff. Ezekiel's wheels mm. feels a little surreal. Yeah. Or maybe it's a UFO, as the History <laughs> Channel says. That's very historical, your History Channel. But the History Channel has gotten less and less historic with time right and i think some of the balance talking ass is one his talking donkey so that feels a little surreal but like i'm thinking especially jeremiah goes to such great length to do wild things that his dreams apparently tell him to do like marrying people divorcing them running around naked like i feel like that that is the most surreal of the major prophetic books, just because it's like, what is going on, dude? Like, that does not seem healthy. Mm-hmm. Your your interaction with your dreams in real life there. So, but my favorite dream in the Bible, I will say, is the dream of Isaiah getting the coal to his lips. It's a real element, of course, because if you put a burning hot coal to your lips, you would not be able to share any of God's message because you oh. would like seriously injure yourself and not be able to speak for a long time Mm -hmm. but just love that image of like having to have something so searingly hot that it can purify so that way you are able to speak the word of god Mm -hmm. so just just kind of love the message of that one yeah that is a good one joseph's always feel just like so explicit and blatant and like just in genesis not in matthew yeah yeah So we also have some pop culture examples of dreams or nightmares as tropes, and not only in horror for those who are not a fan of that genre. But there are, of course, many different tropes of how dreams and nightmares are used in stories. Of course, a classic is, oh, it was just a dream the whole time, which was most famously used in the last episode of the TV show Newhart, which revealed that the whole show had been a dream of the main character of the previously on television Bob Newhart show, oddly enough, starring the 
same major actor. Funny how that works. I remember my parents telling me about that, but also I did grow up watching occasionally a new heart on Nick at Night. And so I had some context mm-hmm. for that too, when I finally did see a version of the, the final reveal. Yeah. Also, I think that is a common trope for the musical episodes. Like there's oh, yes. Abbott, and there was a Disney show. I don't remember for sure what it was called, but it was like a family. And they were the first ones that I ever experienced having a musical episode. And it was like somebody was sick. And so it was like a fever dream of theirs. Sure. That makes sense. Even sure. Stevens. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they, of course, have movies that specifically problematize that binary like i think the most famous example of wizard of oz where she wakes up at the end and oh yeah everyone around her is around her and it's like oh it's just a dream but then it's like was it was that really a dream and that's kind of like the question they leave you hanging on with that mm-hmm. film and there's many others that do that kind of thing too sure. inception even kind of ends with the question of was this a dream or not we don't know yeah 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 that was a good movie not the world's greatest choice for a date movie just saying as I found out. <laughs> I also saw that movie on a date. Interesting. It created some interesting conversations afterwards, but also like you're just sort of stunned and like emotionally exhausted. And that was not what yeah. we were really going for that day. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I have seen it once and it is one of my housemates' favorite movie. Then, of course, we also have prophetic dreams, which very often Mm -hmm. in pop culture show up as fortune telling, although sometimes I suppose they probably show up as just truth telling. But this reminded Mm -hmm. me of Jesus Christ Superstar, which we've also done a deep dive on, which Mm -hmm. has Pontius Pilate dream of millions of people in the future mentioning his name and leaving him to blame, which would seem to be a reference to the Apostles Creed, which mentions his Mm -hmm. name and blames him very thoroughly. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That happens a lot, especially in like horror movies too, in prophetic dreams. Sure. Well, one that I'm thinking of like right off the top of my head would be the dream state that Wanda puts mm. Tony Stark into and also oh, in Ultron. then Thor yeah, Thor also goes into like a dream pool and has a prophetic dream. So like there are two prophetic dreams in that movie. Sure. But also like wasn't Tony's dream specifically like she was trying to get him unhappy or extra anxious so that he would do bad things and so it wasn't exactly pathetic it was her trying to affect his choices but uh, yeah but i think it was like showing one possible future which i feel like is very biblical prophetic thing saying if you don't do this this way then god's gonna send another country to come in and wipe wipe you off the face of the map yeah yeah And then, of course, there's also, which we've already previously mentioned, being unsure whether it was a dream or not. And this immediately reminded me of the movie Contact, where Eleanor's alien contact experience might have been a dream. But also, despite the fact that she was only gone, apparently, for a moment, according to our experience, the machines recorded 18 hours of static, the machines that were with her. And so that does seem kind of extraordinary. Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, me too. That goes back to the Wizard of Oz, too, as, like, yeah, Wizard of Oz is one of those. Yeah. And then there's the other kind of trope that I was thinking about is, like, the psychic dreaming, where you dream with another person or you encounter another person alive in your dream, and they're also in the other dream. We just watched Doctor Who for our November BooTube that has not come out yet for Horror Nerds at Church, and one of the episodes that we watched was Amy's Choice. And that, like, that the doctor, Amy, and Rory Pond, well, Rory's not a pond yet, but they all are having, like, synchronized dreams 
psychically connected dreams. And then I mentioned this earlier in the episode too, but another kind of popular trope that appears a lot in movies of any kind is since movies are such a visual medium, it's hard to access the internal thoughts of characters. So they're often used dreams as a way to like this character is feeling anxious so they're going to have a dream where this something happens that will show to the audience that the person is anxious or in horror movies a lot they'll do this where it's like we need a jump scare so let's have a creature jump out of a person and the person wake up it's a dream sure that kind of thing so mm -hmm. yeah that happens a lot in pop culture as well we'll dive into the readings then <laughs> Our first reading is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Despite King Ahaz of Judah refusing to put God to the test under arduous circumstances, the prophet Isaiah announces that God will provide the people with a sign, a child born to a young woman and named Emmanuel, God with us. So as I was thinking about this passage, I was thinking about this idea of a promised child. And this child who is promised is promised in a particular way in Isaiah that is not the same way that it comes up in Matthew. But I was thinking about Connor, Angel's kid in the TV show Angel, where Connor is promised and there's all of this like prophetic stuff around like his being promised and everybody has a vested interest in Connor but then there's also like false prophecies that have been like placed throughout the centuries just to like complicate how people understand who Connor is and what he can do so I have not finished the Connor arc because we got distracted and so I haven't returned to my like buff angel thing but yeah that also makes me think the name Connor at first, when I first glanced at it, I thought you were going to be talking about Terminator <laughs> because of Sarah Connor. But that's another yeah. promised child that she's going to have that needs to be protected by Reese. And then at the end, she's pregnant with a child and it shows that this new future is coming to pass. So very, very inspired biblically, I think there. Sure. Mm -hmm. And then in verse 11, we read, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. And I have recently been rereading a favorite webcomic because I just received in the mail my copy of the omnibus Digger Unearthed of mm -hmm. the webcomic Digger from online, which you can read for free and we can link to in the show notes. And mm -hmm. I am so glad to finally have a paper copy of this. I can't even tell you. It is delightful. <laughs> it is a, a story about religion and people and also people who aren't human beings and a wombat and all sorts of other things. I find it very comforting in part because it acknowledges that horrible things exist in the universe, but also that there are things you can do. So there mm -hmm. are times in my life when I need to reread it to remind myself of that. And one of the things about this story is that it also includes remarkably humble prophecies, or at least prophecies mm. of remarkably humble origins, because most of the prophecies that we hear in this story are from oracular slugs, which read these <laughs> prophecies on leaves of various trees that have dropped to the forest ground. And there is a whole backstory of why the oracular slugs exist in the first place. Basically, it goes back to a particularly inept druid who could make really good beer, but was not a very good druid. And so these oracular slugs deliver prophecies at various points in the narrative, and at least once are not actually allowed to deliver prophecies, because it turns out that wombats really do not have a lot of time or interest in that kind of thing. So gotcha. it is good fun. Fascinating. Yeah. I'm glad that you got the book too, because I recall the many times you've referred to Digger. So I'm glad that you now have a book to look at anytime, anywhere that there yes. is light. Well, 
maybe not anywhere because it's kind of big and heavy, but still. Yes. Well, details, details. And then in verse 14, we read, Therefore God's own self will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a child and shall name them Emmanuel. Which, so I was thinking about the different ways that like naming happens. And I was trying to find a different example and I couldn't. So my fallback example for like very, very obvious slash intentional naming is, of course, Werewolf, Mick Werewolf, a.k.a. Remus Lupin in (laughs) the Harry Potter books. To be fair, it is a really good example. It's true. It's true. Yeah. They're just like, yeah. Yeah. I always found this verse troubling, especially as a kid, like when I was reading things very literally in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's like we'd have this reading in Advent saying, this kid's going to be named Emmanuel. And then on Christmas Eve, it's like, this kid's going to be named Jesus. It's like, well, which the <laughs> Because Emmanuel and Jesus don't even mean the same thing. So I've always had a problem with that yeah. as a prophecy about the baby Jesus. I think this just means that we do actually know what Jesus's middle name is. It's Emmanuel. Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ. Okay, but with an I or an e. <laughs> I like it. Okay, but with an I or an e. It depends on which language you're speaking at the time. If you're speaking Greek, it's an E. If you're speaking Latin, it's a I. But also, it's also a sign that, in fact, the baby that is named in this prophecy is not Jesus. Well, yes. Well, yeah, that's what I was saying. <laughs> Different baby, not about Jesus. We just make that as Christians. It is a totally valid thing all on its own without us. Yes. Just like Jewish people are totally valid group of people without us. Mm -hmm. It's true. Our second reading today is from Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 7. Paul greets the church of Rome at the beginning of his letter, which elaborately outlines how God's grace works, because this is Paul and everything he does is elaborate. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) everything. It's one of the obvious themes in this passage is that it's an introduction, an elaborate one, as you mentioned, Kay, kind of like Pray tell, introducing people at the balls in pose. Very elaborate, very detailed, lots of build up. Like the weird Freddy versus Jason movie and introductions (laughs) to each character of like their greatest hits. Also that, yeah. (laughs) And then in verse one, we read, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And as I was reading this, I finally got it. The fictional character who Paul needed to meet during his lifetime in order to become a more deeply emotional and aware person would have been Mr. Darcy from Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. (laughs) It would have been so helpful for him because Darcy starts off just as pride-filled as Paul is. And as he puts it, as a child, I was taught what was right, but I was not taught to correct my temper. I was given good principles, but left to follow them in pride and conceit. Does that sound like anyone we know? Yeah, I can't tell if Paul is writing that or Mr. Darcy. (laughs) Exactly. And so... Eventually, Darcy comes to understand that other people are, you know, also people and therefore deserve a certain amount of respect and dignity and that his manners matter, even Hmm. with people who don't mean anything in particular to him. Because he was actually always in the story perfectly capable of being kind and polite and generous to people he actually cared about. It was just folks he didn't care about, didn't know, didn't have any interaction with before that he was pretty rude to. And I think this is something that Paul could learn from. 
And so now <laughs> there are a million Pride and Prejudice fanfic novels. And of course, because it's in the public domain, you're allowed to publish those and actually make money from them if you want. And so if someone wants to write the alternate universe version where Paul from Biblical Times is slingshotted forward in time and meets Mr. Darcy, I would read the heck out of that. I'm just saying. I was going to say, I think I know someone who could write that. That sounds like a terrible idea, but thank you. <laughs> call it everything, everywhere, all the words. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then in verse three, we read the gospel concerning God's son, who is descended from David according to the flesh. And as Kay reminded me, it's a little bit like Ray in Star Wars being descended from Palpatine. Like... I know your ancestor was evil and caused lots of harm, but it is not your destiny to also be evil and cause lots of harm. A lesson that, you know, perhaps Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street could learn just because his ancestry, his birth story is awful, does yeah. not mean he is destined to that as well. Yeah, but I feel like he kind of, that's part of his jam. Yeah, I mean, he it's a lesson that maybe, maybe even I feel like Freddie, regardless of his ancestry, still would be like, you know what? I want to murder some kids. Oh, totally. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling today. Totally. I think the ancestry is just like the excuse that is used. I don't think it's yeah. yeah but yeah. Anyway, our gospel reading for this episode is Matthew chapter one verses eighteen through twenty five. God sends Joseph a dream so that he will still marry the pregnant Mary and know that the child she carries is born of God. So one of the themes in this passage, as I alluded to earlier, is the idea of quiet harm. Joseph, being a righteous man, wants to completely destroy Mary's life, but quietly. So it's not really obvious to everyone what he's doing. And it reminded me of the way that Agent Carter is treated a little bit in Agent Carter, the TV show, where like on the surface, officially, she is an agent and therefore should be treated as such. But the reality is that even though she is significantly more competent and, and expert and everything than all of the men, she is still quietly dismissed and demeaned at every turn. Yeah. Sexism. Yeah. And just to clarify for our listeners who may not be fully literate in what biblical life was like for different kinds of people, part of why Joseph wanting to dismiss Mary is such a horrible concept for our current minds today is because given what Mary's life would have been like as a young unmarried girl, chances are it's not like Joseph was thinking that she went out and cheated on him with some other guy. Chances are what he thought happened was that she had been assaulted very possibly by mm -hmm. someone either in or very close to her family. And that's part of what makes that whole thing even more horrible for us now. Because if we heard this story today in today's society, the immediate expectation would be that Mary had a boyfriend secretly or something. And that's not likely in the culture that she grew up in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Thank you for that clarification, Kay. Well, because I, I think the idea of Joseph not wanting to raise a child not his own that was conceived consensually is a slightly different conversation. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's how it's mostly interpreted these yeah, days. Yeah, very often. Yeah. yeah. So in verse 18, in the latter part of it, we read, When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm taking this specifically as an example of one of the important things to remember about biblical Greek is that they were not very big on punctuation. And if they were, the Bible would be such a different book in so many ways. Well, the New Testament, at least. Mm -hmm. And I think that that phrase from the Holy Spirit should be in parentheses in the English translation. But it's not because clearly not everyone knew that part, because if everyone actually knew that Mary was pregnant from the Holy Spirit, like literally everyone in their community, it would have been fine. Joseph marrying mm -hmm. her would not have been a big deal. You know, God's doing a God thing. Okay, sure. Fine. Cool. Whatever. Yeah. But they didn't, including Joseph didn't know that. And so that's part of why Joseph had that impulse to dismiss her in the first place. Joseph wouldn't have needed all of those divine dreams if like an actual angel had shown up in the middle of town and just announced it to the world. Like an actual angel showed up and announced it to Mary. That might have been helpful. He also wouldn't have needed all those dreams though, if he was an actual righteous person because he wouldn't have dismissed Mary if she had been sexually assaulted. Right. Yeah, he would. And whole different conversations. And he would have just <laughs> believed her. If you're in right relationship with somebody, that means... Yeah, I don't entirely know that I, as a kid, expected that they actually had a conversation. Mm. Like, I, I kind of always figured that he found this out through the grapevine. Oh. Because if they had... I, I don't know if that was in part influenced by the amount of like 90s tv that i watched that never allowed anyone to have a direct conversation and always involved you know <laughs> roundabout ways of information getting around but i guess i always assumed that he found out from like one of her family members or something that she was pregnant and mm -hmm. that they like they were engaged but also she was a young girl and he was an adult male and they probably didn't actually talk a lot so yeah whole That's different true. thing but moving on i just want to point out that the greeks did not really believe in things like parentheses or commas or other things like that using them very often i don't think they actually had parentheses they did occasionally use commas but not nearly as often as the english translation would tell you they did mm -hmm. and so i think if we had the phrase from the holy spirit in that verse in parentheses it would give us a much better idea of what's actually going on but we don't so that makes Which sense. Which is actually kind of weird because the English translation will throw in all kinds of other punctuation that's not there all the time, willy-nilly. Including let parentheses. Me tell you, well, yes. Or let me tell you the number of weird conversations I've had about the truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Where does the comma go or should there be one at all? But we don't need to go there right now. So, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we did go there. We went there at Reign of Christ. So folks yes. can check that out if they want to. But then in verse 20, we read... But just when Joseph had resolved to do this, that is, dismiss Mary, an angel of God appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this reminded me of Frozen 2, when Anna and Elsa presumably have like learned their lesson about doing things on their own, and Anna gets Elsa to like commit to it, and they're like, okay. We're going to face things together. They go into the fog together. And so it's like, just when they had resolved to do things together, Elsa goes back to her ways and ditches Anna again. Yeah. And again. And again. So Elsa, not quite the righteous character. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, she had self-awareness enough to know that <laughs> and let Anna rule in her stead. That is true. <laughs> That's fair. So now for our wackiest podcast segment, let's make a Muppets musical. Pace, who would you like to cast in our Muppets musical from this episode? Hmm. I want to cast the angel of the Lord appearing in all the dreams mm -hmm. yeah. as a Swedish chef, because like 
everyone who dreams knows that they're not very straightforward in being able to understand it. So I'm just loving this idea of the Swedish chef trying to communicate all these things to Joseph <laughs> and the Magi. And them all to be in like, what? what's happening? Yes. That's fantastic. I love it. Except this <laughs> is also a version of the Swedish chef that is like visually terrifying. And I also kind of want to see that too. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay. So if, if the Swedish chef is the angel, I'm trying to figure out if like, Joseph is a person, a la Muppets Christmas Carol, or mm. if Joseph is like Bert. Oh goodness, Joseph being Bert. That's I could, what I, I can see. And I could also see Ernie being Mary. <laughs> and you know who's the human in that scene? Jesus. Right. <laughs> that would be a very miraculous birth yes. if Ernie was. Able Ernie gave to birth have to a person. Child. <laughs> that is fantastic. To the human. Yeah. Yeah, my original thought for these passages was I was thinking about King Ahaz not wanting to test God, and that sort of reminded me of, I was trying to decide between Kermit and his nephew, Robin, because neither of them are really the type to want to test God. They're both naturally mm -hmm. trusting. And so I, I thought that was interesting. But no, I, I like the idea of Ernie is Mary and giving birth to a human better. So. Yeah, I love that one. I love that. Okay, that's a fantastic casting. <laughs> I would and now I want the nativity. <laughs> <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. A Muppets nativity set yes. would be adorable. So, Pace, any other thoughts on life, the universe, and everything, everywhere, all at once? <laughs> yes, yes. So, mentioned earlier, our live show, mm -hmm. definitely check that out. Check out our entire season four, the dream season. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's pretty dreamy. And put a pun in there just for Emily. Aww. And then I'm working on getting some articles published. So just stay tuned to my socials, which I'm sure will be linked in the Yes, we'll link to Horror Nerds at Church and Pace in our episode description. And if you didn't like this episode, I mean, it was a bad dream. Wake up, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Nice. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for the Nativity of Our Lord, the Third also known as Christmas Day. This podcast has been produced by us, Kay Roloff and Emily Ewing. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Nerds at Church or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you want access to our uncut guest episodes and interviews, live Q&As, special secret surprise coming up, and more... Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdsatchurch. It's as little as $5, which is definitely cheaper than you're likely to be able to spend on a dream dictionary or a dream interpreter session. Yes. Also, let us know on Facebook or Twitter who you would cast for Let's Make a Muppets Musical for this episode. As the ancient Christian said, Pops